you know, and I think your listeners might fall off their chairs or hit the brakes if they're driving and listening to this. <laughs> if I tell them like my, my interest rate on that mortgage was a double digit one, yeah. my first one. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, hey, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your attention. And I've got a good one for you. I'm a little biased. I've said that in the past. I think all of the shows I bring you are fantastic because, frankly, I wouldn't upload them and present them to you if they weren't. So today is no exception. I have on the show today someone who is very, very good at accelerating wealth, at taking the assets and whatever you have at your disposal and making it work much, much harder for you. His name is MC Laubscher. He is the creator and host of the popular podcast Cashflow Ninja and also Cashflow Investing Secrets. He is a investor himself, a serial entrepreneur, He's the president and chief executive officer at Producers Wealth, a virtual wealth creation firm that assists investors and business owners to set up and implement infinite banking. He has shared his strategies in Forbes Magazine, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine, Grant Cardone TV, and the Bigger Pockets podcast. He's been all over. People seek him out, and I have him for you today on the show, and I could not be happier. So without any further ado, I give you MC Laubscher. All right, MC, I appreciate you doing this, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here and thanks for being part of this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. I am too. Uh, I was able to be interviewed on your podcast uh, several months back now. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy and excited to have you on mine because I know you have a lot of great stuff to share. You're doing a lot of great stuff. You're helping a lot of people. And I just think that's awesome. And I want to dive into all that. But uh, let's give people a little bit of context here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Where do you come from? Why are you even in real estate? Like, you know, what were you planning? And maybe this was always your goal. But before it was your goal, if it wasn't your goal from the beginning, what, what were you? you going to be before you became this that's quite incredible so yeah uh what a, what a journey originally from south africa so i'm originally from south africa i grew up in a very interesting time uh during south Af in south africa's history um and uh we yeah i mean uh, one of the things that i learned during that time specifically was you know, to think for yourself, critically analyze things, ask questions, see the different sides and angles of different things, knowing that there's different perspectives and then over overlapping things. So one of the things that I learned is I was a, a major in, in history and economics, but it wasn't until I understood the history, the financial history of the world, that it actually all started to make sense because it kind of overlaps, right? Yeah. So if you use those frameworks of bringing it together, you start to see what's going on. And um, you know, I started my journey playing sports and that's how I ended up in the United States. And, um, I, uh, you know, I, I, tr I, I read a lot while, while traveling sports and at that stage, you know, guys were, we were traveling from city to city playing, playing in a national, uh, playing in a national league and, you know, guys would play video games and do this and that I started reading and I love, love reading books. And I came across, um, a book that my mom actually gave me on, on one of my visits to South Africa, rich dad, poor dad. Uh, and obviously uh, your listeners might be very well familiar with uh, Robert K. Saki's oh, yeah. Rich Dad Dead. I read the book, uh, really, really uh, changed my, my paradigm. It was a huge paradigm shift in my thinking. Uh, I took action. I bought my first property. This was 2001 um, and got my, got my first tenants in. 
uh, collected the rent, paid all of my bills. And at the end of the month, there was cash flow. There was yeah. extra money yeah. available. And I'm like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> how many times can I do this? How many properties can I buy? How many yeah. doors can I get? And that's kind of where the journey started. And then there's a couple of other things that um, through aha moments, uh, you know, big, big light bulb moments that I had brought other things together. You know, the first one was cash flow uh, and re- real estate cash flow was amazing and learning about that, deep diving into the, the financial world, learn, as I mentioned, learning more e- about economics, history and, and financial stuff brings you to the banking system. Yeah. You just end up uh, looking at banks. That's that's just how it happens when yeah. you start looking at these things. Uh, and then you start to realize, man, there is a business model here that is unmatched. Because um, these are the creator uh, creators of the game and they own the chessboard. Yeah. You know, every, everyone else is, is moving pieces on it. Um, and I had that epiphany and then I reread Rich Dad Poor Dad and I'm like, well, this is an accounting book. But not only was it the focus on creating assets that produce income, but also sharing, you know, kind of uh, deep into the book that you have to be the bank, you know, essentially you have to be, and you have to become your own banker. Um, so that was the second kind of pivotal moment in, in, on my journey is cash flow, being the bank. And then I looked at this and I said, wow, this, you know, if, I, if you're focusing on cash flow, you're the bank, what other things are there parts of the game uh, that I need to learn about. Yeah. And being a real estate investor, you're obviously going to end up with debt. Yeah. You know, you're going to end yeah. up. That's a big part of the game is leveraging debt um, and good debt. And an- another part of the game is leveraging the tax code, um, yeah. which is also that. And then leveraging inflation. And a lot of folks st- suffer because of those three things right. where if you're on the other side of this compound interest equation, because you figured out cash flow in the banking system, you can leverage that to actually grow and scale your investments. So you grow and scale your real estate portfolio, your investments and so forth, because you know how to handle debt, leverage it. You know how to handle um, inflation and you know the tax game. Um, and that's kind of what I learned on my journey. And, and you know, uh, fast forward to today, um, we build a platform sharing all of these many things that we learned. Uh, we've, we, um, yeah, we, we, we have a, a, a platform called Cashflow Ninja, which is an education company, over 700 podcasts, different programs, and so forth, uh, with listeners and, and students in over 180 countries around the world. Um, and then I also have a company in the United States where we teach a lot about and help folks with wealth strategies and how to be utilize strategies to become their own banker. Okay. Uh, that company's called Producers Wealth, and we started that in 2015. Gotcha. Okay. Now we have we have raced through the years here and kind of gotten from the beginning to the end really, really fast. Now I want to go back and dig in a little bit to the beginning. I know if you're like every other human on earth, there is a certain amount, and I like to talk about this because it's real and it's real life. There's a certain amount of discussion you have to have at the very least with yourself when you decide you're going to buy your first rental property. It's a big decision and it can be very, very scary. And I don't know at the time if you were or are married or if you had anybody else in your life that you had to bring aboard on this journey. 
How did you do that? Because I think for most people, they can hear everything you're saying and they'll go, that makes total sense. And I'm, I'm excited and I'm, I'm enthusiastic and I, I'm inspired by MC. I like what he's talking about, but my wife will never go for it or my husband will never go for it. Or, you know, my parents have told me I'm an idiot since I was born. I'm, I'm never going to be able to convince anyone that they should think that I can do this. Like, what did you have to go through in the beginning stages just to get to the point where you could take action? You have to change your belief systems and your beliefs. Otherwise, nothing will change. And we can, this is, you can uh, put this into other areas of your life. You could put this in areas of health, your marriage, your, or relationships, your, and, and your wealth. Nothing is going to happen until uh, you change uh, the lens through which you view the world. And if you're married, you have to bring that that partner and spouse with you on that, on that journey. Otherwise it's going to be very, very tough. It's going to be a very tough relationship, right? Even with business partners, if you're not viewing the world through the same lens and you're not on the same page, it's very, very tough. But I think, um, you know, I mentioned that I grew up in South Africa and in a very interesting time in the country's history, um, which led me to become a, a person that questions everything, do my own research, critically analyze and think everything. I think that regardless of where you grow up, you have to kind of have the same approach because we have to be cognizant that we are born. And since we are born, whether we know it or not, um, we are uh being indoctrinated, saying saying this nicely, it's not necessarily all bad, but we're being indoctrinated and there are certain beliefs and belief systems installed within us. And it's not necessarily what people tell you, but it's what you observe. So I grew up, I grew up in a middle class family in South Africa. I had a lot of poor beliefs, you know, belief systems of, because my parents, you know, didn't come from money. Their, their parents didn't come from money. Yeah. So those kind of behaviors, then you pick up as a, as a child and it's the same thing. So the only reason why I took action, I mean, take uh, re reading that book, di diving into that, but I had to change the the lens through which I see the world and I had to change my belief system. And by the way, it's the hardest things thing to do yeah. because we've seen it. If somebody attacks your some of your core beliefs, we're automatically defensive. Uh, we feel, you know, a lot of folks feel uh, you know, that somebody's personally attacking you or offending you yeah. just if you do that. So the hardest thing to do is ch to change it yourself, to realize that, hey, I did grow up here, but there's a different world out there. There's a different, uh, um, I would say, universe that folks can operate in. Um, so that's the big thing. And, and if you're married, I wasn't at the time. I was young. Um you know, just, just starting out. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this was 20 years ago and I'm four, 42 now. So I was young, started very, very young. So I didn't have a mortgage, a job, all that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, a family uh, to support. Um, but I think it's very important even now. I mean, there's still a lot of big changes that I continually continue to make. And I yeah. do have a wife and I have children yeah. and I have several, uh, several businesses and so forth, but you have to be on the same page. Did you, did your parents uh, agree with what you were doing? Did you talk to them about it? No. Yeah. Everybody's, I mean, everybody, that's kind of been the story of, of the past 20 years is everybody's thought that I've been crazy for 20 years. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that in 2020, a lot of folks have reached out, out to me as friends and family. And all of a sudden, you know, they started to start to see like 
some of the things that I was talking about mm-hmm. playing out. Yeah. Um, so no, everybody thought I was completely nuts. Yeah. Um, so you got to get around other crazy people because, you know, <laughs> was it Steve job that, that, that mentioned it's the crazy ones that end up changing, changing the yeah. world and changing their lives, you and know, their lives, their families and their communities. Right. Totally, man. You, you bring up a good point and you kind of said it casually there, but I think what you're essentially saying is some sort of a group, uh, mastermind or a peer group or something where people think like you think, because uh, the, the crazy thing is, is if you surround yourself with people who think a certain way, you tend to think that way for the better or the worse, right? If you surround yourself with negative people who constantly blaming everybody else and woe is me and they never have any, like you, you can feel you're start starting to slip down that road. If you surround yourself with people who think they can do things or have, you know, the crazy people, the people who have these ideas that change the world, you start thinking that way too, right? So it's like, it, to me, it's a lot like uh, peer pressure, right? Peer pressure, when people say the word peer pressure, it's always kind of a negative, like, oh, kids have peer pressure to smoke or do drugs or whatever it is. But peer pressure isn't good or bad. It's just a thing. If your peers are good people with good motives and 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 they're trying to be more with them with their lives and have more and be more and do more, that's peer pressure, right? So you want to you want to surround yourself with those kind of people. I think that's awesome. Um, you're right. It, there is a certain power to being young and maybe naive and and not having those mortgages and, and wife or husband or whatever to like make you have to second guess yourself a little bit. So that that's that's very good. But on the flip side, I think sometimes when you're young, you you struggle with. Does anybody take me seriously? I'm very young. Like I've never done anything. Like I don't have any experience to, you know, fall back on. So I think there's a lot of, of, uh, there's a lot of, um, it takes bravery, a little bit of courage to, to go out as a young person and do it. It takes bravery when you're with a mortgage and a wife and a husband and all this responsibility. So thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So when you bought that first house, let's go, let's stay there for a minute. You bought that first property. How did you find it? How did you finance it? How did you find tenants? This was actually in South Africa. So I was in the United States and I went back to South Africa for a couple of months and I bought a property there. So I knew that there, I I knew the market very well. I grew up in the place, in the area that, uh, that I actually uh, bought the the, the place and I kind of know where uh, the market was going. So I kind of saw the development and, you know, uh, so I grew up in Stellenbosch in, in, in South Africa. The closest major city is Cape Town. Okay. And I had family that lived in this particular area. Uh, you would call it a, a suburb of, of, of Cape Town. And I kind of saw a lot was moving in that direction where it was a very a simple commute into the city from there. Uh, so there was a lot of working people moving into that area. It's beautiful. It's close to the beach. There's great surf there. Um, so not only is it, a phenomenal lifestyle, but you can get to the city to commute and work pr- pretty pretty easily. So then I kind of knew where I wanted to 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 buy, um, and I went to go and stay there for about a month. I lived there, looked at all the different places, found one, um, found a realtor after interviewing some folks. And again, to your point. You know, I was young at that stage. Um, you know, with the fir- the first couple of realtors that uh, that actually met with me, like, like looking at me, like who who's this young kid in like shorts and you know flip flops and a t shirt that looked like yeah. he just you know went for a surf basically. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I, I mean, it was something to overcome. But once they realized that I started, uh, that I was serious, that I got 
basically pre-approved for a loan at that stage for financing, um, they started to see like, hey, this guy is serious to 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 get a property. So I found it. I found a property that I liked. Um, it was a great rental. It was a condo, and I'll never forget it because I, you know. It was a great lesson and a starting point. So it was a, a, a two bedroom, two bath, a uh, couple of blocks from the from the ocean, great view, um, very close to commute for, for people to commute in. Um, and that, I mean, just taking the leap there and eventually buying that with financing, you know, and I think your listeners might fall off their chairs or hit the brakes if they're driving and listening to this. If I tell them like my, my interest rate on that mortgage was a double digit one, my first one. And it was still able to work that the, you know, after paying all the expenses associated with that kind of the association fees, the mortgage, you know, putting in some reserves, it was cash flowing. So, you you know, you hear a lot of folks say, I I can't cash flow anything with a mortgage at five or 6%. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, this was double digits that, that I started (laughs) and I, and I found the property. So you can find deals like that. And so tenants, I also enlisted the help of uh, the broker because there was a lot of different screening things that I didn't have the experience doing. Yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know. Sure. And looking back, that was actually a smart move um, <laughs> of just enlisting help of someone that knew what they were doing. So I got a... I, I got an agent to to help me find find those tenants where um, I had previous experiences where I tried that on my own and even the due diligence that I did it didn't work out so well later on. So yeah. even being young, I, I, I you know, like there was there was some blind luck involved with it too. But yeah. I think the important thing about that, and here here's a lesson for your listeners, is sometimes with everything that I've basically learned over the the past two decades you you can read about driving a car a lot you can look at all the pictures of of what a car looks like inside but at some stage you're going to have to get in that car and learn actually how to drive and we learn by driving it um and it's with a lot of other businesses and niches that i'm involved in you just you have to get in the car and learn how to drive um And I think that's that that was the big lesson out of that. Um, and you mentioned the word courage with the, with everything. It, it takes courage. Every major decision that you make, and especially when it comes to investing and especially changing your life, it takes it takes a massive amount of courage. Yeah, for sure. And, and not only that, you 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 don't you know, you, you're do, I assume you, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing this now and not in your home country. You're, you're in a, in a completely different place from where you grew up. And, and so that adds a layer of, of complexity and, and maybe a little bit of um, extra courage. I don't know. Or, or maybe it just, it's, you know, sometimes I think we grow up here in America, we live in a, you know, middle-class it's comfortable and like it, nothing has, has, nothing has exercised that, that, uh, um, muscle that helps us deal with risk, you know, of any kind, you know, we're, we're constantly kind of coddled by the parents. And, and so there's, there's no real risk muscle being developed. And sometimes maybe when people come from another country, it's like, well, it's already pretty crazy. What's what's the difference if I start doing this, right? Like, it's just, I might as well, I'm all in at this point, but it always amazes me people who make excuses who grew up here and have every opportunity in the world and and have struggles and excuses and then somebody comes from another country doesn't know you know how we do things here how you can finance things or how things work and and they and they somehow manage to do it i think sometimes it's just like 
I don't know. It's risk. I think it's risk tolerance or something. People are afraid, afraid to make mistakes, afraid to, to, to risk what they have, even though what they have isn't what they want. It's just, it's sort of a crazy mindset, but I think that's what happens sometimes. So, um, yeah, cool, cool, cool. So, you, you talk a lot about, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, becoming the bank. The bank made the rules. The bank created the game. We're all just moving pieces around. So for someone listening right now who's working that corporate job or whatever, going to work on the assembly line, whatever it is, like, what does that even mean? How do they get their mind wrapped around being a bank when they don't have any money really right now or they're struggling? Or maybe they bought their first investment property, but it's like, what does he mean, be the bank? What does that mean? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I just one point on your previous comment uh, about risk that people, the risk, the risk uh, tolerance of people. I have to say, as a foreigner coming to the United States, I did when I first came here, I, I was just blown away with the opportunity for up, upward mobility mm-hmm. in the United States. And this was in 2001 that I came here. And I and now it's global because we're all so connected on the internet. I came here and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the opportunity, this is in most countries. And I traveled a little bit of, of Europe and grew up in Africa and uh, have been to Asia. But most countries, there's not this upward mobility where anyone, you know, you name it, whether it's a Sarah Blakely that starts Spanx, basically, mm-hmm. whether it's a Damon John that, you know, starts in basically the projects in New York City and become, ends up becoming a billionaire. Yeah. There's the opportunity is just incredible. And, and, um, how you see it is to, to just shake the victim mentality, realize the opportunity and, and, and capitalize it. But bringing it back to the banking, the banking model, um, you know, bankers, the banking model is just phenomenal. You know, if you break it down very, very simple, you know, on the one side, you have a lot of people making deposits into a bank. We still do it. We used to get a return on our money, but there's still online banking. You know, there's still other features, wires and so forth. There's still uh, things that we use banks for. This is going to completely, I mean, the next five years is going to be incredible. That's going to change. But for now, we still use a lot of, of the deposit sides of, of, of banking. But on the back end of the banking system is a lending side. And that's where the money is made. Banks get their deposits in. They have a very, very low cost of capital, which business owners and investors should always be cognizant about. And on the back end, they then create assets, which is loans, whether it be auto loans, mortgages, business loans, student loans, credit cards, you name it, they create that on the back end and then make a very, very nice spread. So nice. So if I can, you know, if, if, if you just look at examples of, uh, of what folk, you know, here's a quick example. Let's just say we put $10,000 into a bank uh, and they pay us, you know, 1% on that, uh, which is very generous. But on the back end, they take that $10,000 and they lend it out at 10%, which is also generous because we know some credit cards are what, 24, 25, 26%. So you could see that on the front end, you know, they're paying out 100 on the back end, they're making a 1,000. So most folks would say that's a nice spread, 9% spread, right? But the only money that the bank had in that transaction was the 100 bucks that they paid on the 10,000, someone else's money, their cost of capital. Mm-hmm. They acquired the capital uh, at, at 1%, $100, and they lent it out on the back end, uh, and they made you know, 900 bucks. So that's a very, very nice spread. It's not 9%. It turns out to be 900 if you mm-hmm. look at the, 
the profit that they're making. Sure. So sure. this is, doesn't even take into fact the, the fractional reserve banking. So how do folks use similar things? The first, you know, the, the model that we use is essentially there's a couple, there's five pillars really of an overall wealth strategy, a framework that we use. You have to make your money. We all make our money somewhere. We have a skill that we provide value to the marketplace in which we, which we uh, get paid for. Then we've got to position our capital somewhere make money, position it somewhere. Then we have to deploy it to go make more money. That's why we love real estate. Yep. Then there's also some growth opportunities or places that we put money for growth. Uh, and then we have to protect all of this through tax strategy, asset protection, and estate planning. So being a bank puts where you put your capital at the center of it. So we talk a lot about there's different ways, and especially in a, in a very, very rapidly changing world right now where there's going to be so th many things coming simultaneously at folks, uh, which they don't know where to look, uh, where do you position capital? So Cash is always king in times of, of, of recessions and corrections, in times of uncertainty. Uh, gold and silver is a good one. And then also cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, which has now become more acceptable is a good way to, to put it. Those are just three assets that I named that I that I named. But essentially what a banker can do and what banks do really well is they collateralize assets which they already have, meaning yeah. having having one a uh, piece of the the, the pie or a, uh, a pool of capital do many different things simultaneously. So, what if, for example, um, you know, and I'll I'll, ju I'll just share th this this um, a mentor of mine. This is twenty years ago. This is what they did in the seventies. They would go to the bank and deposit money into CDs. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> because it was paying double digits. Yeah. And uh, what they would do is they would go to the bank and say, "Hey, Mister Banker, can I put a hundred thousand dollars?" CD in a CD in your bank. And the banker would say, well, of course, cost of capital. They take it in, they put the money there. Then they would go back to that same banker and say, hey, Mr. Banker, I've got $100,000 in a CD that's locked up in your bank. Can I get a loan secured by that $100,000 in the bank? And the banker would say, well, of course, we got your capital in, low cost of capital. We're now going to create a product for you, a loan that's secured by this. Mm -hmm. So we we have collateral too, and they would give them up to 90%, let's just say, of the value of their CD in the, in the shape of a loan. They would then take that $90,000 and go buy real estate, um, finances, uh, finance it with that, and the cash flow from the real estate they would take to pay the loan back to the banker. That $100,000, if you think about it, just did many different things mm -hmm. simultaneously. And that's how folks can think strategically of how to become their own banker. Yes, you have to start build up reserves and savings first uh, in a place. That's the first thing that folks should do. We always say, mm -hmm. you know, get six to 12 months of reserves, cash reserves somewhere. Yeah. And then you look at other places to put capital. But then the, mo the more important thing is position assets so that you can eventually collateralize it. So the strategies that we use is infinite banking, which where you use actually an overfunded dividend paying whole life insurance policy with a mutual insurance company. Yep. So you build up cash value in the policy, you borrow against it, just as I explained. Um, the money grows tax-free in the policy. There's guarantees, the dividends are tax-free, and then the death benefit goes tax-free to your beneficiaries. Yep. It's a very powerful strategy that they that they implement and execute in family offices. You 
you can use gold and silver where you can borrow up to 50% of your, the value of your gold holdings, uh, which is a pretty powerful strategy. So a lot of folks would say, I don't want to invest in real estate because the world's coming to an end. So I buy gold and silver. Well, Mr. or Mrs. World coming to an end, you can also buy another hard asset with your gold and silver using it as collateral. The same with maybe someone that's saying, well, I don't want to miss out on this Bitcoin wave. Well, there's now uh, custodians actually of Bitcoin that will lend up to 50% of the value. Obviously, a very risky strategy because it's a volatile clause. Yeah. But 50% of that to go and then buy real estate with it. So that's what I mean by becoming a bank as far as a wealth strategy, because I think why real estate investors and business owners are so successful sometimes is because they have tunnel vision and they focus, laser focus yeah. on, on, on uh, generating assets that cash flow. But sometimes if they look at just a couple of moving pieces around that, it's going to amplify what they're able to do as investors and as business owners. So would you say, this is kind of an abstract question, but I thought of it as you were talking. Would you say that you would attribute your financial success more to those kind of strategies where you're collateralizing a hard asset to really do multiple things with the same amount of money? Or would you attribute it more to literally just the purchase of real estate? You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm almost thinking like, if I took away all of the all of the strategies you just talked about, you don't you're not collateralizing, yep. you're not making this work. You're just buying houses, renting them, buying houses, renting them. That will get you to a point, right? Yes. It's almost like you've added some gasoline to this little fire that's made it explode. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it feels almost like you're saying these these infinite banking strategies, these other strategies you're talking about, actually take something that's pretty good and make it ten times better. Is that fair? That's fair. And, and that happened to me personally because I was building and I was slowly but surely building a portfolio. And once I started doing these strategies, it just started putting rocket fuel on what I was already doing. And I, I see it with folks in our network too. You know, here's another strategy, same thing, collateralizing. And most folks are probably familiar with this, but essentially, um, you know, we have a business owner where you can collateralize the assets of the business, the receivables and the assets that they have to go to the bank to get a business loan. So we had someone in our network at a business um, that operated from a specific building. They got a loan collateralizing the assets and purchased the building with other tenants in it. Now they have additional income and basically the the uh, the rent is paid for for the building from which the business operates and it still does. Yeah. You know, and and the simplest form of this, you know, I use the CD as a as an example, but most folks know uh, of a HELOC, mm -hmm. which is essentially the same thing, a cash out refi and a HELOC because you didn't have to sell the real estate with tax consequences and all of the other things yep. to access capital to roll it into a next property. Yep. So it's looking at these other uh, uh, strategies available around it, which could really uh, put some rocket fuel on what you're what you're doing. Yep, absolutely. Can I ask you, when you said you were building your portfolio, kind of slowly putting it together, what was the first move you made in this direction of collateralizing and kind of multiple use for this money? What, what was the first application? How did you die? How did you kind of get into that part of it? Like, and the reason I'm asking is I, I we're the strategy you're talking about makes total sense. And I think people listening can make sense of it. But I think most people's questions is always, okay, I have five rentals. I have 10 rentals. Like, 
what do I do first? Like, what, what should I do first in that case? It's a great question. I was running into the challenge of you, you would get one property and you try to get, you know, maybe two or three. And then all of a sudden you're trying to, now you're shooting for four or five, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens is while well, there's one or two tenants don't pay, <laughs> dealing with evictions. Yeah. And as all the real estate investors know, shocker, folks can damage properties, yeah. which they do. They have in, in, uh, in my, in my journey that on my journey, they have. So then all of a sudden, and, and this happened all, to me, like all of a sudden you're like, man, now I have to fork out credit cards again because I have to cover some rent. Yeah. I have to basically fix, you know, spend, uh, you know, five to $10,000 fixing a property, uh, which folks damage. And now I'm back in a hole. Yep. Uh, so it was until I, I started to implement the infinite banking, which is the, the actually the insurance strategy, where I sat down and I said, okay, I need to build up reserves. I can't, op I can't continue to operate like this because I feel like I have momentum and I'm adding to a portfolio and I'm growing. And then I take three or four steps forward and now I'm taking five steps back again, yeah. basically. Yep. So essentially building up uh, the, the reserves in a place where I can access it to once I had that set up and I six to 12 months of reserves, which is, it's hard. It's painful for real estate investors, yeah. especially, especially if they have a portfolio because they're always just looking at, all right, I need to make this money work for me. I'm getting nervous just looking at it sit there. Mm -hmm. um, it was painful, but once I got there and I also... Uh, since then, I've always maintained six to 12 months of reserves minimum. But once I did that, all of a sudden, I, I had a foundational piece underneath me. And now I could take the next step up and really start to scale yeah. um, things that I was involved in. Yeah, I love that. I love that, man. That's awesome. So that's some of the strategies that you did to kind of build your business. W what does your business look like today? I know you said you have multiple businesses, but what is it that you're focused on today? What are you excited about going forward? And real quick, I, I feel bad. I I'm sort of doing, I'm a horrible interviewer by doing this, but you said something earlier uh, just in passing, and I want to just touch on that before we move forward. You said that you don't think the banking system as we know it will exist in five years or there's going to be some major difference. What do you mean by that? What do you, what do you think is going to be happening? I think there's industries that's ripe for disruption, ripe for it. Real estate, obviously, being one of them too. Uh, but the banking system is is still very archaic in, in a sense. Um, and I see a lot of up and coming technologies, especially uh, in the crypto space, that are is going to challenge the existing system, the banking system. And they're going to come to uh, you know they're they're come going to come to a fork in the road where they have to embrace a lot of it, which some banks already are starting to do mm. uh, become custodians for other assets to hold it. And, um, you know, so banking might be a little bit different. You know, my son is four years old. I don't think he'll ever be in a bank, have to go into a bank in his life. Uh, I think that's just all going to be online. Um, I think the way that banks are, are structured and set up is, is, is definitely going to change. It's going to become more user-friendly, less fees, more decentralized in a way. Although, we know that they try to keep it as centralized as possible, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but they don't have a choice. I mean, with with the disruption coming in, you either have to figure out how am I going to exist in this new universe, or I'm going to completely disappear. Yeah. So yeah. Th that's a lot of the 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 things that we've been looking at is companies that's already doing things in that particular arena. Um, 
that's now coming into the banking basically sphere and challenging that. Yeah. You know, you have companies in the crypto space that will be custodians, let's just say, of certain cryptocurrencies, but stable coins, yeah. earning a nice return for you that you can borrow um, and 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 do the lending through them too. So yeah, I think it's going to change big time, um, and it it's going to happen very very quickly. But we're already seeing, like I said, mass adoption of certain banks already saying. We got to figure out a way to exist here. Let's yeah. let's get along in the in the sandbox, yeah, right? Which totally. the, the other kids have climbed into. Totally. So let's talk about your business now. What do you, what's going on? What are you excited about? What is your what are your plans going forward? Where do you see your business going? Yeah, so uh, the one business I have is called Producers Wealth. We help folks set up strategies, wealth strategies, an overall holistic strategy, and help them set up the infinite banking strategy, which is based on on the insurance. Uh, that's completely virtual. We're doing business in 50 states. Uh, there was a company that I started in, in 2015. You know, uh, that again, folks are thinking I was crazy when I said, well, I'm going to start this virtual firm. Who goes on to Zoom and talk to people and you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sits exactly. down for a, a wild strategy or consult, right? <laughs> um, so that's the one company we're very excited. We've got a great team, and more and more folks are starting to learn what we do and the power of that. So we help them with that. The other company is Cashflow Ninja, which is a education company, and our core our core principle and and and, and philosophy is we want to empower folks to become self-reliant through education. It was mostly focused just on money. There'll be some other things that we roll out to besides sharing how to start a business, how to create a wealth strategy, how to uh, create a portfolio, cash flow portfolio, how to invest, invest in cash flow assets and so forth. Um, very excited about that part of it. The other side that I'm excited to as an investor, you know, I've changed a lot in my how I invest personally. Yeah. So I used to do things myself, like that first property, <laughs> um, and then I invested with partners. And now I'm now I'm, uh, I you know my thing that I'm most excited about is people finding the right operators in certain niches. And that's how essentially you can diversify into different areas. So instead of jumping headfirst into the cell storage arena or, um, you know, uh, uh, resorts or uh, mobile home parks or multifamily, I find the best operators and look at how I can partner with them, invest in their projects and look at other value that I can provide for them. So um, that's what I'm very excited about because I think there's a lot of opportunity in certain niches. And, you know, folks would ask me these days, like, what's your you know, what's your niche kind of that you're focusing on? And I said, my niche is people. I try and find the best people to partner within. And um, because there's a lot of opportunities in in, in different niches. So, um, and I've kind of taken that approach. Uh, You know, I try to learn about the industry, um, about a specific niche and who the players are, who the best folks are, seek out mentors, uh, learn more from them and eventually end up partnering with them instead of doing things myself. Super smart. And that's how you do more and not basically run yourself into the grave, you know, because we only have so much time. Time is the one thing that you just can't get more of when it's gone it's gone right money you can get more of you can get more time but the way you multiply your time is to like you said 
look for people that can help you multiply your time a little bit. So I love that, man. I'm all about it. I have a partner in my business and people ask me, it's crazy. Why are you, you know, like for me, at least in my real estate business, we're 50, 50 partners. It's not like, a, you know, like a business partnership, but we're 50, 50 partners. Like, man, you're giving away half of your profits. Like, yes, I am, but I'm getting half my time back. Right. And so what can I do with half of that time? Whatever I want. I can spend with family. I can, I can invest in something else. I can, I can focus on other things. So uh, ultimately that time multiplier is people. And I think that you, you're smart to do that. So, so that's awesome. And so if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, what you're helping folks with, where can they go? Where should they go to find out more about MC if they want more? Cashflowninja.com is our platform. Uh, they can go on to cash. Everything is there, our podcast, our resources. And for folks interested in the banking strategies, I created a free video series that they can access at yourownbankingsystem.com. Nice. So yourownbankingsystem.com. Got it. And we're going to follow that in the show notes, guys. So if you are driving, running on a treadmill, whatever you're doing, uh, you can go to the show notes and check that out. MC, man, I appreciate you doing this. I really appreciate you being on the show. You're a lot of fun, super knowledgeable. The accent is cool as heck. I didn't get into it, but that's super cool. Uh, uh, so thanks for doing this and thanks for having me on your show again. I appreciate it. We did that a while back and it was a lot of fun. I remember. So I was excited to have you on this one and you delivered big time. So thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Of course, of course. All right, man. Have a good rest of your year. If I don't talk to you, uh, success and happiness to you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you in the future. Same here. Same to you. All thank right. you. Yep. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with MC. He's a fun guy and uh, I'm always intrigued and interested and really inspired by people who come from other countries and do such great things. I think that they just have that entrepreneurial fire a lot of times that some of us take for granted here. I did for a long time. I kind of grew up in a stable sort of safe house environment and it was tough for me to break out of that and think a little bit differently. And we talked about that Steve Jobs, right? Like, uh, you know, the, the, the crazy people, the people who think outside the box and what they can achieve. And I think it's really, really inspiring. So if you're interested in what he had to say, go check out his stuff at Cashflow Ninja. And uh, until next time, guys, listen, whether you're from this country or from another country, whether or not you had a lot of things growing up or didn't have a lot of things, it honestly doesn't matter. It, it does give you different tools and, and things that you have available, but we all have strengths. We all have a way to make it work. You just need to go out there and don't be denied. Those are the people who succeed always, in my opinion and in my experience, the people who refuse to be denied. Refuse to be denied. Get out there and get after it. All right, we'll see you next time. Okay. You're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now, just start to the number five, five, four, four, 
4. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back, and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.